Uh, yeah, my name is Daniel Robbins, and uh, it's great to see all of you. It's been good to be up here and uh, meet with your elders. Uh, they're a, a great bunch. Um, I've really been pleased to get to know them, and uh, you should be encouraged that uh, an outsider thinks they're nice and wonderful. So uh, it's also been good for me to be back in the Northwest. I'm originally from Ballard, uh, home of the Ballard Locks and all sorts of Norwegian jokes. Uh, and uh, it's, it's good to be home. And I got out of the car and I smelled the sea and I was like, yeah, this is good. So uh, it's been a pleasure to be back here in the promised homeland. I know you guys are tired of the rain. It's the springtime and you've had six months of this already. I'm relieved. You know, like the passage in Revelation where it says there's no scorching sun. I felt like I've been scorched for the past four years in St. Louis. So this is nice. Uh, our scripture passage this morning is Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Uh, I don't believe it's printed in your bulletins, but you do have pew Bibles, it looks like. This is uh, back in the Sermon on the Mount, picking up where you all left off on Good Friday, I believe. Uh, This passage, along with the next two, are about hypocrites and fakers. Uh, Kind of a classic topic for Northwestern culture. Uh, We want to be authentic. But this is more uh, about fake righteousness. Fake righteousness in contrast to the real deal. But more than that, this passage is actually about the benevolence, the unfettered generosity and kindness of our Father. Uh, So hear now the word of the Lord. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven, or with your Father in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have already received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Lord, you have put your name on your word. You have made it a sharp sword and a tool, not only for cutting, but also for healing. We pray you do both by your spirit. We, too, we pray that you would uh, attend your word in this time uh, because you care for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, hypocrisy is kind of like eating spoiled food. Uh, I learned something the hard way. Uh, Washington apples are something I've missed. You know, they're awesome. They're the best in the world. But uh, after high school, I spent a bit of time traveling, and I spent four months in Costa Rica going to this Bible school. So we'd spend uh, the week listening to lectures and doing our readings, and then the weekends we were free to travel, which was great. Uh, So I boarded a bus with some friends. We went out to the Pacific, and the bus, you know, is about to explode the whole time. We're about to tumble off all these roads. It's kind of a scary ride. We finally get to the top of these mountains, and we take a break to get refreshments and snacks. Make my way over to the food stand with the fruit. There's papayas, mangoes, all this awesome stuff. Then I see apples, and I see Washington apples. I was like, yeah. He's <laughs> like, these are going to be good. This is what I need. Not only do I miss home, but these are the best in the world. Pay for them, get back in the bus. Bus takes off, and the moment arrives when I take the bite of the apple. Only to find thick, pliable skin giving way to starchy, bland, foul apple meal. You know, bad apples are bad enough, but when they have the Washington State sticker on them, that's just low. Uh, 
and really, it was bitter cut. You know, I was expecting a lot. Uh, it, pray, it promised so much. It pretended to deserve my money, pre- pretended to deserve my affection, my commitment. But when it allowed into my mouth, no less, it was foul and disappointing and uh, a false promise. It only left a bad taste in my mouth. You know, we all hate hypocrisy, uh, and we see it in our lives and all sorts of little things. Uh, but what Jesus highlights here is actually the, a greater evil. It's a greater hypocrisy, and that's religious hypocrisy. Because it pretends uh, to be holy. Just like the Washington apple that is foul is worse than just a normal apple that's bad because it pretends to be from my supreme home state. Religious hypocrisy, which uses love, acts of love and righteousness and our God's great and kind name to gain its own glory, is worse. It's a foul and bland version of humanity and a bitter one, and it actually muddies the waters of what real righteousness looks like. I mean, imagine if you only had starchy, bland Washington apples, and someone told you, you've got to try these out. You're confused. These are horrible. <laughs> like, I've only had bad ones. That's basically what religious hypocrisy does. It gives a bad taste in mouth for all acts of piety. Well, that's the first thing we're going to look at this morning, fake charity. This passage is about alms. We're going to look at fake charity. But the next, we're going to look and spend time thinking about the real deal charity, God's actual benevolence, his charity, his kindness, and develop a taste and a longing for that. And then lastly, we'll consider what enables us to do this, what enables us to love, to be charitable like we've been commanded, uh, what hope we have as we engage in that kind of costly love. I'm saying charity, uh, and just to be clear, you know, most of us, when we hear charity, we think of, like, Union Gospel Mission in downtown Seattle, or I think you guys have the Lighthouse Mission here. And that's good, and right, and those organizations are wonderful. But I'm meaning to talk about that, plus the broader heart disposition, the broader sense of uh, this effulgence, this generosity, this merciful abundance first. And that's actually the way the, the word here in the, in the text works, this word giving to the needy. Some of your Bibles, if you have the RSV or the KJV, says uh, alms. Uh, that's the way the word functions in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, though, it just means mercy. It means love. Uh, it's used to describe God, and we'll see that a bit later. So first, fake charity. I want to point out three things in this passage about fake charity that Jesus highlights. Uh, the first is that it seeks glory from men. It actually deludes us into thinking that we're actually righteous. It's deceiving. And it treats God as boss, not as father. So first, hypocrisy is always driven by a desire to be approved of. And you see this in verses 1 and 2. Uh, he says, uh, don't practice your righteousness before the people in order to be seen by them. And verse 2, he says, that the hypocrites blow trumpets in the streets that they may be praised by others. Now, the problem is not actually the desire to be approved of. Uh, That's a good thing. You need to be approved of. You need to have someone who actually cares for you and welcomes you and thinks you're wonderful. That's what families do. That's what uh, people are for. But the problem is that we actually look for that uh, above and beyond what we look for from the Father. And we'll get into why we do that. Uh, The trumpets here are metaphorical. You actually can't find a record of people blowing trumpets in synagogues. Uh, But the point is kind of to be absurd, right? Uh, The point is to be so ridiculous in trying to get attention for yourself that it actually captures our imaginations. You think, that's that's ridiculous. You blow trumpets before you give to the needy? 
maybe I kind of toot my own horn in some ways too. There's subtler ways that we go about it. And you know, you have to think for yourself about the ways that you self-promote. I don't know most of you, but I know in my own heart, in my own life, there's things, there's unnecessary details I manage to weave into conversations just so people know a little bit about me. I'd like you to know I'm a great person. We can easily miss uh, how we do this when we look at like politicians showing up at soup kitchens and they get the photo op and then they're gone once they get the, the publicity they need. Uh, those are great examples of easy and cheap charity, stuff that, something that costs you nothing, no time, no affection. But we miss it in our own hearts. And if you're, if you're prone to endless self-examination, you know, I want to caution you and just say, you, it's not that no one can ever see you doing good. You know, we've been told back in Matthew 5, 16, let your righteousness shine before others that they may give glory to your Father who's in heaven. And the picture there is that your character is actually holy and that you can't even hide it. True charity, true righteousness oozes from your pores. Uh, you can't hide it. But here, the question, the motivation is, who do you want to see you? Who do you want to see you, not your father? And that's the one that uh, quiets most of us, myself included. The hypocritical heart wouldn't actually care if no one was around to see. Uh, They wouldn't care about the poor, rather, if no one could see them do it. Secondly, hypocrisy of self-delusion. We convince ourselves that we're righteous because we actually managed to pull it off. Uh, and there is, you know, the malicious type of hypocrisy, the, the con artist, the TV preacher who uh, manipulates for his own profit. Uh, we know those types, but I think what Jesus is actually addressing here is the self-deluded type of religious hypocrisy. The type that you do this action and you actually convince yourself that therefore I am uh, right before God. And the irony of the whole situation is that uh, with the hypocrites, they proclaim why everyone should love them while they're supposedly loving another. But that's not the way love works. Love, real love, is unconcerned with the acclaim, with the attention it gets from anyone else. It's concerned with the person that it loves. It set its sights on someone, and that is the object of its love. Nothing else matters. This hypocritical love is no love at all. Acting like you love others to manipulate onlookers is no love at all. But why is this no love? Uh, it's important to recognize two things here when the trumpet's being blown. Not only uh, am I bringing attention to myself for doing this good act, but I'm also bringing attention to this poor person that I'm helping. Uh, my good act doesn't look very good unless I make them look really bad. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, look at me. Look at this, look at this poor sap. I'm going to help them out. Uh, that kind of charity is actually no charity at all because it ostracizes the poor. It ostracizes the needy. It puts them out keeps them at a distance instead of, in fact, welcoming them into our homes, welcoming them into relationship, uh, giving ourselves as well as our money. It ostracizes them because it tells them that to be righteous, you actually have to have something to offer. You have to have something to contribute. You have to earn your stance with God to be righteous, and that is, no, that is so far from the truth. Hypocrisy turns the gospel on its head. It's absolutely backwards because instead of righteousness being something that the Lord lavishes on us, that he gives to us in his son Jesus, it's something we have to conjure up. It's something that exhausts us. Well, lastly, hypocrisy doesn't rightly trust God. It doesn't know God, not fully. It doesn't fully love God. 
And no doubt, you know, for all of us, we can see mixed motives in ourselves, and that will always be the case. But there's a sense that uh, to do these things and to blow this trumpet and to practice this kind of hypocrisy is to hide behind these pious acts in the main streets so that in the secret dark alleyways of our lives, uh, no one will see. And we'll kind of scoot by and get the passing grade. Because we can't let anyone see that, and we certainly can't let the Lord see the things that are deep inside our hearts. Well, in verse 2, we see that Jesus, uh, do you see Jesus tell us this when he says that they have received their reward in full. That's this term there in the Greek, is, it's a technical term. If you were working for me for the day, and I told you I'd pay 50 bucks, and I gave you the 50 bucks, I'd say, you have received your payment in full. You've paid. That's the end of our relationship. I was your boss. I paid you for your work. We're done. Have a good night. That's the way that these people are approaching the Lord as a boss, as a taskmaster, as a wage payer. Look, Lord, I've done this for you. Please pay me now. And the Lord arranges it. That's what's scary. <laughs> That's what's scary about this is that the Lord actually allows them to get what they wanted. They get the praise. But that's all they'll get. They receive the reward in full. That's as far as the relationship goes. When we pretend to serve God in order to serve our own egos, we shouldn't expect anything more than the public recognition we manage to scrape up. That reward, that reward is entirely dissatisfying, and you know it. You've had the public recognition. We've all had it, and it's wonderful for a time, but it's passing. It's, it doesn't last doesn't change us. There is a better, deeper, longer-lasting reward with the Father in heaven for those who serve him in secret. And that's our next point, the Father's charity. This is exactly what these hypocrites in this passage don't get. This is exactly what I don't get when I want to hide. That the Father knows and loves you see the Lord's charity, his abundance of love in two places in this passage. One from this, this word, giving to the needy. And the second in his seeing and rewarding us in secret. And the reason why I say we can see the Lord's kindness in this word, giving to the needy, in the New Testament it means alms. You know, uh, just simply giving to the needy. It's a great translation. In the Old Testament though, when people translated this in Greek, that was the word that they used for mercy, steadfast love, compassion, patience. Faithfulness. Uh, you see this when Moses, Moses asked the Lord to show him his glory. You might remember the story. Uh, Moses had been up on the mountain praying for 40 days, fasting, interceding for Israel, and he says, Lord, show me your glory, which is a pretty bold request. And the Lord hides him in this, this cleft in the rock, it says. So you can imagine him looking out this crack. And the Lord passes by in splendor. Something we, we all wish we could see. But this is what he says. The Lord says about himself. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's part of what he says. There is a piling of words on here. Mercy, grace, patience, kindness. You get the sense that like, no matter what he says, it just doesn't do justice to the abundance, the ocean of God's kindness towards his people. This is who God is when you let him speak for himself. 
the just God, but also the compassionate God. This is the tender and strong delight and affection of a loving father. And this is what is the basis for all the laws in the Old Testament. You know, if you read through Leviticus, if you keep an eye out for it, you'll see this over and over. There are multiple, multiple laws protecting the fatherless, the sojourner, and the widow. Those in need, those who have no status to protect themselves. Listen to this from Deuteronomy 10. For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. The sense of holy splendor and righteousness. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You see, God's kind mercy, his character, is never divorced from his acts of mercy. What we've called social justice, this kind, this compassion for those who are not protected by our society. But as far as the scriptures are concerned, we were the poor. We were the sojourner. We were the enslaved until the Lord came and found us and rescued us and adopted us and restored us. And that is to reflect itself in all aspects of our lives. That kindness that the Lord has shown to us already. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. You could spend the whole day looking through and meditating on, just go through, through your concordance and look at compassion, mercy, love, faithfulness, widows, sojourners, fatherless. You see the Lord's kindness for them. You know, this is the center of our devotion. This is the focus of our devotion. It's the substance of our devotion, but it's also the energy of our devotion. It's what drives us. Uh, we need to soak this into our bones, into every pore of our lives. Uh, we need this. This is the first step of Christianity, and this is what is assumed in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the whole context of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the center of Jesus' relationship with his Father. If you remember at his baptism, the Lord, the heavens open up and the Spirit descends on Jesus. And what does the Father say? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is also what drives the Lord to take the cross for us. And what drives him to heal the sick and the paralyzed. And is a center of the good news. You know, in our tradition, this is a, a great uh, treasure we have. Uh, in Presbyterian and Reformed tradition. Treasuring, soaking up, meditating on the sweetness of God's love. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, who we all think of as a sermon in, uh, you know, sinners in the hands of an angry God, he said this about the love of God. God is the fountain of love, as the sun is the fountain of light, a full and overflowing and inexhaustible fountain of love. It is God from whom every stream of holy love, yea, every drop that is or ever was, proceeds. That is a majestic image of God. But verse 4 is where the rubber meets the road. The Lord says that if we give in secret, the Father sees in secret. You know, it's all fine and dandy to talk about God's love, but the Father's love extends even to the unseen places in our lives. To the quiet, private moments in our lives. It extends to our private acts of devotion and service, but it even extends and touches and forgives the darkest corners of our sin. This is the good news for you all. If you are in Christ, there is no corner of your life that is not untouched by the Lord's knowledge, 
but also His compassion, His grace. For those of you who don't know the Lord, this is probably scary. There's not a corner of your life that the Lord doesn't see. But He sees it as a loving Father, and that's what I want to call you to today. And this bears a bit of explanation. I have two boys, as Nate said. Uh, the youngest is Lazarus, which I'll admit is kind of a crazy name. My mother said, oh, wow, that's wonderful, honey. Um, <laughs> we all know what that means. Uh, we call him Lazy Rascal, uh, which here's an example why. Uh, usually I'm up in the mornings before the boys get up, uh, but, you know, I was tired. So I slept in one morning, desperate for some sleep. The boys came in. We sent them out to play. There's a whole room full of toys. They know the rules. It's good, right? Right. Uh, all's honky-dory until we get up and we find Lazzie, and he says, hi, Mom. And she sees this, like, white globule in his mouth. She's like, what is that? And pulls it out, and it's butter. What are you... So the hunt was on. Start scouring everything. Nothing in the kitchen. Okay. Finally, after Elijah, my older brother, ratted him out, the older brother. Uh, we go into the living room and we find a whole wrapper of, like a, from a stick of butter just underneath the couch. And we go into the playroom and behind the curtain there lies the stick of butter with a big chomp bitten out of it and like dust and hair. Like, oh, Lazarus. You know, like, Come on, man. The whole thing was just ridiculous and hilarious. Uh, not only did he get into the lamest thing in the fridge, like unsalted butter. I mean, maple syrup, right? Like, wasn't good enough. Uh, but he had to scarf it down behind a curtain. Like, you know, that's just sad. Uh, I mean, if you want butter, sweetie, I will give you the biggest spoonful of the lame, old, unsalted butter that you want. You can have it all. That's fine. Scarf on it. Uh, we were disappointed that he busted in the fridge, you know, uh, and that he didn't feel like he could ask us for something. We are disappointed that he had to hide his secret love of unsalted butter. Uh, <laughs> But here's the point, though. Uh, while we did make him clean up his mess, uh, our, our love for him was not affected. It was not lessened. Uh, in fact, it, we think it's funny. Uh, he didn't have to hide. We would have told him, no, you can't take it and chomp on it behind the curtain, but you don't have to hide, dear. You don't have to hide. Uh, we don't want him breaking into the fridge and gorging himself and all the condiments he can get a hold of, but we do see his disobedience as parents. We see him within the realm of our compassion, within the realm of our loving bond to him, which will never end. Uh, I see his buttery secrets with forgiving compassion, and I can't help it because I'm his dad, and I think he's great. But that's an easy example. Butter. It's cute. Who cares? The reality is, is that the things that you want to hide for your whole life, the deeper and harder truth is that the Lord sees those, and he sees them within the realm of his compassion within his loving bond for you, which will never go away. This is exactly what the religious hypocrites don't get or refuse to believe. I cannot present myself before the Lord because he will reject me. I have to hide. I have to prove why he has to love me. Nothing could be farther from the truth. This is exactly what they're supposed to do, to come empty-handed to the Lord, just like the poor that they are trying to help to come empty-handed to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your compassion. I need your alms. I need your mercy. The Lord himself goes on to say, in this book, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners. 
You know, just want to sit in this for one more second, and then move on. If you're here today, and you're not a believer, or you don't even know where you're at with the Lord, know this. The Lord knows you, and He knows you well. He knows you better than you know yourself, even. But He knows you as a loving Father. Within the realm of His compassion, He already is seeking you. Seek Him back today. I also just want to point out that this is the real compassion for those in need, for those who need forgiveness. That's beautiful. This is lovely. This is the sweet apple. This is glory. This is the compassion that's supposed to flow out of us. And that brings us to point three. Forming charity. How does charity get formed in us? You know, it's worthwhile just to say about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is setting the compass for uh, believers, for people who have their heart devoted to the Lord, who've committed themselves to His kindness. And He's saying, here is due north. Go this way. This is the telos. This is the end. This is the goal of your life. To have a righteousness greater than the Pharisees. But it's also the path. And we'd be fools to say that we're there already. So if you are here today like me and you're saying, Boo, I don't know if I have that heart of compassion every day, uh, welcome, welcome. It's good to have you. <laughs> uh, but this is also something the Lord is forming in us. And, and here's what I want to think about, how he does that. Jesus' whole exhortation, if you look at verses 1 and 2 and 4, is about reward. It's based on reward. He says in verse 1 that if you practice your righteousness to be seen, you have no reward. And that the hypocrites, they have already received their reward. They treated God as a boss and you're welcome. There you have it. Public recognition and it's done. But verse 4 he says the Lord who sees in secret will reward us. And that's supposed to be a hope. Now for most of us that seems cheap and dirty. That seems petty. You know, Jesus means payday and we've all experienced uh, the health and wealth gospel, it says, if you follow the Lord, then your life will be good and you will own a new Escalade and you know, stock options will do this and that and, and here's your reward. But that's actually not what Jesus says at all. He doesn't even specify what the reward, reward is. He just says, it's with the Father. He says it's right next to his side. It's in his presence. And in Matthew, Jesus goes on to tell a story about a faithful servant who, when his master returned, was given these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter, enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. The reward Jesus is promising here is not payment for hours worked or tit for tat recompense. It's the lavish gift of a father showering compassion on his people, Welcoming them in. It's not Jesus means payday. It's I can't wait to be with the Lord himself and to be at his table. To eat with him. You know, alms and charity are not motivated by simple altruism. And that's good. It would be wonderful. But you don't have to feel petty for wanting a reward or wanting someone to notice. You just need to direct it to the Lord. That he would notice. That he would give you reward. We are given a new name with the Lord. We're given a new home, a greater role in his kingdom, a place to rule with him 
a place at the table of the king. You know, I promise you, if you set your heart, if you set your heart on the reward that is uh, being in the midst of the Father's joy, you will see that you are now freed up to give at great cost to yourself without anyone seeing. You'll be freed to give sacrificially uh, with no promise of any, uh, any recompense at all because the Lord himself is your reward. That's the promise here, that the Lord will actually free you up and form in you this abundance, this compassion, if you have set your heart on the Lord himself. So that's the first way he forms it in us. The second way is actually uh, realizing that in order to have that kind of mercy, we have to see God's mercy to us in the first place. We have to see his mercy to us in the first place and lay hold of it, the mercy that's offered us in Christ. Jesus gave himself. Jesus is the picture of almsgiving. He gave not only his wealth, but also his complete life. He gave himself on the cross in a public way, no less, but it was not glorious. No one praised him for dying and being beaten. No one praised him for looking like the failure, for losing. He gave himself in love to the point of actually taking on our sickness and suffering. He gave himself in order to establish relationship with us. He paid our debt, but he also went beyond that. He defeated death and was given reward, resurrection, glory, new life, joy with the Father. He is the King. We pray, crown him with many crowns. The greatest reward is victory over death and unbroken fellowship with God the Father. But even more than this, Jesus has ascended into the heavenly courts. He is the cosmic King, and he has given all of the riches the Father has are made Christ's. And if you are in Christ this morning, then you are Christ's, and Christ is yours. And the riches that are in Christ are yours. And that's how Paul can pray in Ephesians 3, that you would know the immeasurable riches of Christ. And that's also how Paul can be beaten within an inch of his life multiple times throughout his life. Give himself over and over because he's laid hold of God's mercy to him in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is a savior of all men and of hypocrites too. He's bound himself to you, so lay hold of him in trust. You have no need to hide, but only to cling, only to cling to him. So what does this all mean? What are we supposed to do? These are nice thoughts. What should we do? I have no doubt that many of you are already living sacrificially and mercifully. You know, if you're a father or a mother, this is your day in, day out. You're wiping bottoms, you're cleaning pee-pee accidents, you're making dinners, you're staying up late, you're doing the unseen business that no one else sees but is part of your care for your children. And this is the broad sense of compassion that is probably already present in most of your lives. Welcoming people in. This is actually your reputation as a church. I don't know if you realize that. Whenever, whenever I talk to people about this church, they said, you know, Christ Church is awesome about welcoming people in. That is the heart of compassion that's already present. And that's the God's grace. But the broader sense of mercy does not ex- excuse us from also giving money and time to those in need. In fact, Jesus assumes that you are giving sacrificially. He doesn't say if you give alms, like it's a good idea. Uh, you might think about it. But when, when you give alms, in your giving of alms, in your practicing of righteousness, here's how you do it. 
And this assumes not only, uh, this is above and beyond the, the tithe, your commitment to your, your synagogue in the, in the passage to your body of, the body of Christ here, to the church. This is above and beyond the tithe. So it's simply, give alms. <laughs> that's, that's one of the applications. Give mercifully. But uh, one small bit of advice, and we get this from this passage, it's best to give when it promises continuing relationship. It's not a one and done, here I am, aren't you thankful? Here's some dough, goodbye. It's giving to welcome people into the family. You know, for some of you, this means uh, that you actually need to soak up and dwell on the love of Christ more. It may be that you have missed or have forgotten how deep and wide and intimate the Father's love is. And so you struggle to have actual compassion on those in need because you feel like you've worked really hard. Soak up the Lord's kindness to you today. For those of you who don't know the Lord, the scriptures call you to seek him. You know, this is like a truth in advertising sermon. This is, here is our God. This is the one we praise. He is compassionate. He is abundant in mercy. And he calls you, first and foremost, to seek him and to ask him to reveal his mercy, his compassion, his grace for you. If he's really there, he'll meet you, and I promise you he will. For most of us, this means that we need to be intentional about putting ourselves in situations that expose us to the needy. You know, our society is really good about uh, keeping us away from the poor, keeping us away from needs. And uh, for better or for worse, that's the way it is. What this means is that you may need to uh, go out of your way to be confronted with the poverty, the poverty of others. This might mean walking to work so that you do actually have to say no to the beggars or yes or what's your name, brother? It may mean driving a different route, going through the bad neighborhoods, thinking about them, praying for them. It may mean setting apart time every week to meet Bellingham's beggars. Knowing them by name. It might even mean sitting in a different place in the church and getting to know those in the congregation who might not be just like you. What this means is that you and I need to make ourselves available in relationship to those in need rather than push them aside. It's challenging, it's costly, and it's what the Lord's calling you to this morning. But whatever charity may cost you financially, Personally, emotionally, it's part of taking up your cross. Here's some things the Lord says to us. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. This is the Lord's promise. Whatever charity may cost you, you are given this promise from the Lord. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is our Lord. He's your praise. Amen.